0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Um, my name is Chris. If you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here. Um, and it's been quite a journey being an elder. I think I waited to the best year ever to jump into leadership. Just going to say so myself. Nick Chris talking to me He's like, you've had an unusual journey. He so says that with that accent. And I'm like, yeah, it's been kind of unusual, Nick. Um, but I do want to reiterate like, uh, how much of an honor it is to be here. The last time I preached here was like years ago uh, at this location, but it's my first time this year in person. I've been preaching to a video camera and gab, Uh, And so I'm really excited to be here, and I thank you for being here. If you're online today, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, I know that there's a lot happening, and so to make space and time to join us tonight, super thankful. Can we just all just wave to the camera back there? Say hello to our online people. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Colossians 3 today, if you have your phone or your app. Um, But, you know, last week, Nick talked about just this beautiful passage in Colossians 2, where, you know, if you haven't had a chance to, to be here and, and hear that, I would encourage you to go back online and listen to it. It was massively helpful. But here's the Spark Notes version of it, that the Colossian church was this diverse, driven church, um, and it was looking to grow. And the false teachers were going around saying, look, unless you're circumcised, you're not really experiencing God. You need to change in order for you to encounter God more. You need to talk to angels unless you're really missing out. And what Paul says to the false teachers is saying, they think they're having an encounter with God, but it's really their heart. It's really their own flesh, their own earthly thoughts that they're prescribing to the church. And Nick did an amazing job to remind us of what we've been given, that we don't need those things. We have access to the Father. And so in this chapter, Paul switches from the false teachers into directly to the Colossian church and how they're supposed to live. So we're going to dive into that. So in verse one, it says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, civilian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. If you're taking notes today, the message is called A Vision for Your Life. A Vision for Your Life. And we're going to look at how Paul's truth takes us from just the ethereal to the practical, from just the idea into the actual substance. And we're going to look at how, what a vision of Jesus in our life looks like and how it drives us to love ourselves well, as well as other people around us. And I really believe that Maddie, just encouraging us today in worship, saying, this is for you. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm believing that God will refresh us today. You guys ready? Yes. I pray for us. We'll jump in. Jesus, thank you that you are kind, that you draw us with your kindness, and you love us. And God, I thank you that everyone in this room and online are people that you love. Your affection is for them. And God, I just pray that you would use me. Humble me as I speak. Um, God, because this is your word. It, it's meaningful. It's life to us, and we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me start off with a quick question. Do you have a vision for your life? Like something that drives you and motivates you and, and dictates your decisions? You know, Gab and I are people of vision. We, we love it. We thrive on it. Um, we work with clients, and our job is to look at the horizon and tell them where we're supposed to go. Um, They look to us to say, do this next, prepare for Black Friday this way, do these things. And, you know, but in 2020, typically we use historical data to understand what's happening. Uh, 2020 has been a mess. Can we agree with that? That 2020 has not looked like we thought it would look like. And a lot of times, 2020 can kind of look like this image once it comes up here. So I want you to look at this and take a look at it. We see some shapes, some symbols you see some arrows and some blobs, but we've been pre- preconditioned to look at the black shapes. So who can read the text that's hidden in it? Just say it, if you can, if you can, can see it. Flying fly you got it really quickly. Good job, guys. You're like in the top denominator of this. You know, if you don't see it yet, let me just point it out to you real quick. <laughs> so there is over here, this F-L-Y-W-I-N. Oh. There it is, I know. <laughs> I know, Val. Let's give her a hand for getting on board. And the trick to seeing the words is not to look at the black blobs, but to look at the background. And with the church Paul's talking to, they're being focused on the the black blobs. Our life this year can kind of look like, well, there's a a lockdown and then there's, uh, I don't know, all these things happen and then there's racial justice and we can get focused on the black blobs and forget the background. And Paul is talking to a church that they're saying, well, unless you see angels and talk to them and know their names, you're not experiencing God. Unless you are circumcised and do these things and practice these rituals, you're not really experiencing God. And so we miss the words, the context, because we look at the blobs instead of the background. And Paul is talking to a church that's saying that these things that they're focusing on are mere shadows, but the substance, the core, the background is Christ that unless we understand the background, the substance, we're really, really missing it. And in 2.17, the last chapter, the word for this idea of substance is soma, body. That if we're living our lives and focusing on just the ideals, but not the actual substance of Christ, we're really missing out from the body, the head, who is Christ. And so Paul brings our attention back in this verse to who matters. The only one who's worth our affection, our full focus it moves from the shadow, the blobs, to the substance. And this year has been full of short-term things that make our lives better, like home workouts or sourdough <laughs> or doing some of yoga or a little light social justice activism. But what we think about is that really, it's not these little pieces that we're gonna put our life together. What we're looking for is a vision, something more, something more meaningful. So what is the vision for your life? How do you find it in 2020 when nothing is predictable and we don't know what tomorrow holds? Well, Paul has an answer for us today. He came on a good day. So we're gonna look at that. We're gonna start by first looking up. We look up. In verse one, he says, "'If you've been raised with Christ, "'seek the things that are above, "'where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. "'Set your mind on things that are above, "'not on things of earth. "'For you have died your life is hidden with Christ in God.'" When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So our starting point for finding a vision for life is it's found in Christ himself, in Jesus. Our status is where we start. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have been called by him, you have been raised. Paul just lays it out, full stop, that if you have been called by him, you're a follower of Jesus, you have been raised by him. Now you set your mind to him. Your only job is to look to Jesus, to follow him, to set your vision and your affection and your pursuit on him. And Paul reminds us in the letter who Jesus is, that he's preeminent, the image of the invisible God. He is the first and the last, last, and he holds everything together, hence the title of this series. And I'm here to remind you that Jesus is not just a baby in a manger anymore. He's not some guy who's still on the cross. The tomb is is empty. He is risen. And Paul tells us where he is now. He's at the right hand of the Father, victorious. He's not wondering when COVID's gonna end. He's not wringing his hand, hoping justice may come tomorrow. He is victorious. He's at the right hand of God. We can celebrate that, right? We don't serve a dead God. He's alive and victorious. But if you set your vision on everything here on earth on earthly things, you're gonna get disappointed. Because if this is all there is for you, 2020 is a pretty, pretty bad year, right? Not awesome. This earth, this world has nothing else to offer you if you have him. If you have a vision of Jesus, that he is the center of your life, there's nothing else that's going to compare to you. And when you try to replace him with something else, we're going to see later, it's pretty tragic. Paul gets real simple. He says that Jesus is not just the accessory to your life. He is your life. Henry Nouwen writes it this way. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to just listen to this. Jesus has, has to be and become evermore the center of my life. It's not enough that Jesus is my teacher, my guide, my source of inspiration. It is not even enough that he is my companion on the journey, my friend and my brother. Jesus must become the heart of my heart, the fire of my life, the love of my soul, the bridegroom of my spirit. He must become my only thought, my only concern, my only desire. As disciples of Jesus, you're called to do three things. Very simple things. One, be with Jesus, be with him. Two, become like Jesus. And three, do what Jesus did. Very, very simple. Except the hardest thing you're ever going to do in your life. (laughs) Your first calling is to be with him, to set your mind on him, Paul says. To let him be the focus of your dreams, of your hopes, of your desires. Let him become your all-consuming passion, your obsession, the fire of your soul. When the challenges of life come at you, when 2020 throws another curveball, which it will, when sickness comes and division comes, you look past the blobs, the things, the shadows to the substance who is Christ. You look to him. Where you look is where you'll go. And if you put your attention somewhere, that dictates how you live. So my personal experience of COVID has been one of mixed, a mixed bag. Anyone else felt that? A little bit kind of a mixed bag? Some bad, but some good too. And my good was no more commuting to Costa Mesa for my work. Uh, That means that's, 10 hours of my week back, I am very happy. I asked for two things, Gav will laugh at this, that I asked for my commute to be gone, so work from home and have church at night. Check and check for me. <laughs> but there's a lot mixed in that. What I didn't realize is that after about sleeping for 10 hours every single night for two weeks, how stressed I was. I realized Gab calls me vacation, Chris. You're nicer. You're happier. And I was like, I didn't realize that this whole experience the last few years has been stress. I've been running on overdrive and I haven't had a chance to stop or slow down because we're really good at just saying, yeah, no, that one more thing is fine. We'll leave it off. No, we're going to do another thing, another rep, another round. And Jesus was saying to me, just slow down. Take a second. And in this, it's let me kind of feel my emotions. Today's message is vulnerable for me because I'm going to be vulnerable and I don't like being it. I'm an eight. If anyone knows the Enneagram, I do not like vulnerability. I'd rather run over a broken glass than to share my emotions um, and the truth of who I am. But it's, made, it's drawn it up. So when George Floyd died, I not only felt angry, I felt disappointment. I felt sadness. I felt my own experience in this. When we experienced the loss of people disconnected, I could feel their emotions more than just anger because I had space for it. And I began to realize where my attention had been that in my life, my attention is focused on work. that I couldn't describe who is Chris Johnson outside of, he's a marketer and he works with some brands and works a lot. And now Jesus was inviting me to be a son, to come in and say, your vision is more than just what you contribute. It's who you are matters. And what I realized is that if your attention is on all the things that are happening in this world and not on Jesus, your life is gonna start looking anxious. Your life is gonna start looking like it's full of bad news. And your attention may become on what you do not have instead of what you already have have access to. Jesus says it this way for us today. I believe this is a life verse for COVID 2020, which is, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, basically, you're stressed out? Come to me. Look at me. Take on my yoke, and I will teach you how to live out of rest. Let me ask a question for you. When's the last time you just sat with him, just took a moment just to be with him, with Jesus, your Savior, your Lord, your King, your friend? When's the last time you just let him wrap you in his love? No matter what comes out of your heart, the pain, the brokenness. The last time you just sat in your car, turned the volume to 50, worshiped and spent time with him, or sat on your patio like me and just cry, (laughs) because that's what I've been doing lately. Because Jesus doesn't just want to be someone who check a box. He wants to be part of your vision, your life. He wants to be there for you as you experience the full emotions and the range of things that are happening today. I want you to hear this. If you're going to write anything down, The vision of Jesus will define the vision of your life. That if you don't have a vision of Jesus, the things we're going to talk about next are worthless to you. Because Paul is going to dive right into what this looks like for us. But his assumption, his focus is that your eyes are fixed on Jesus. Your mind is set on him who is elevated, who is above. He is standing right next to the Father saying, I'm pleading for you, I am risen, I'm king. So in order to actualize the vision, we need to look at the things that will distract us. So first we look up. Next, we're going to look in. So believe it or not, becoming an elder is kind of a big deal for me because when I was a kid, I was afraid of public speaking. I went to speech therapy when I was third grade. So I thought when you know, being leader, out. Not happening. You have to be like next level. This is not on the table for me. And I got saved at a young age and, and my affections started to change. My focus started to change. My poor mom listened to every Hillsong album from 2007 just over and over again. And I remember going to this church, this big church in Vacaville, and I uh, was at a prayer meeting and a guy named Jules, this big black preacher, came up to me and said, hey, I want to give a word for you. And um, I had not experienced prophetic words or those things I'd seen other people have this. He pulls me aside and kind of speaks a word over me from Second Timothy, saying, you're going to be a leader. You're going to preach one day. You're going to be teaching and leading in churches. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'll take it, but, like, it's never going to happen. I was wrong. But as I did that, he gave me two junior high guys. He said, hey, just watch them, teach them, show them how to live. And then he walked away. Kind of like Nick Saltis dice. He kind of just gives you something and just walks away. <laughs> and I... Um, and I would just try to learn. I learned, I walked with them, I learned the mistakes, and soon it began to grow from two to ten. We had a group, a couple guys that was leading 20 junior hires. And I was in a meeting, and there was a bunch of people were praying, receiving prayer, um, very charismatic style. And uh, I was praying for some students and this guy named Kevin, he's like 6'4. He looked kind of like Travis, he's just playing bass in the background. And he calls, he pulls me inside, hey, I have a word for you. And I lit up. I'm like, yes, another word, a vision for the future. I love those. This is my favorite. And he pulls me aside and he says, Hey, Chris, I think God wants to free you from your porn addiction today. And I get hit by like a bus, just like out. And I'm like, whoa. And I didn't feel shame in the moment, but I felt incredibly seen. Because you don't understand that I lived in a fatherless home. All I wanted was to men just notice me and speak to me. But what I didn't notice is that Kevin was pulling me aside saying, God loves you in the middle of what you're at. He wants to speak to you. And God was speaking to me in something that was awkward. If you came to church today and you're new, sorry, it's about to get awkward. But it's so freeing because what happened is I began the journey of pursuit of freedom for me. That someone would come and speak a prophetic word. And it was as if God was saying, I love you too much to leave you here. I have more for you, Chris. I didn't feel shame, I felt seen. Paul says it in verse 5, after we have this vision of Jesus, set your mind on Jesus to put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. You know what's interesting is that in this little section, Paul mentions uh, most, the majority of things he mentions are sexual morality pieces. He does mention covetousness, but mainly sexual things. And the word sexual morality is the word pornea. It's actually where we get a lot of the root for the word for porn. And it's this idea of a range of sexual sin, not just one version, but a lot of it. So why is it so dangerous? Why does Paul choose this one? A nice light note for like, Jesus is amazing, sexual sin. Because he understands how dangerous it is. Sexual sin is the act of setting your affection and your pursuit towards something that will never fully satisfy you. You submit yourself to a vision of an idol who has its only path for you is destruction. And Paul says it on the nose that this is idolatry. This idol will say to you things like, you're the center of the world. You can define your own destiny and you're the exception to the rule. No one needs to know about this. You're fine. You're gonna, you're good. And this is not a new trick for the enemy. He's been using this playbook from the beginning. Hey, Adam, Eve, God doesn't really love you. Your vision of him is wrong. You need more. You need to see more. You need to know more. Take from the fruit. Well, they told us not to forget what he said. Just take that. You'll see more. You'll experience more. You'll be like God. And the result is division between the couple. It's death. It's separation. It's the earth is cursed. And Paul is bringing this back to us saying, if you have a vision of Jesus, but yet you're living in the sin, the idolatry behind it is the dangerous thing for you. So why put it to death? He says to put to death to the sin, not because it's gonna make you more holy, not because that father's gonna love you more, but because it it drives our, our vision, our distraction from Jesus to that, that our affections shift from Jesus to his idol. We don't give room to it. We don't give space to it. We kill it. We don't give it any space or room. There is no more room because my affection is supposed to be set on Jesus. Paul's answer to sin is kill it. And if you think this is dramatic, let's look at how Jesus talks about it. He's way more colorful. In Matthew 5, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. But Jesus, this is kind of dramatic. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. To Jesus, sin is serious. For him, he's saying, it's better for you to limp the rest of your life than to be in hell. This verse has been used to abuse and to hit people over the head. This is not the intention tonight, because you've already heard that you are already loved and cherished. Paul says that the biggest threat to living out God's vision for you is idolatry, that idolatry is the thing that is gonna rob you the opportunity to live out that vision, that your affections will be divided. You will not be able to focus on both Jesus and his idol. Kill it, it's not worth it. So it's good news for you. If you're in Christ, your life is hidden in him. He is your righteousness. There's no addiction, no idol that can separate you from his love today. In Jesus, he has become your perfection. And I want to declare today that if you're walking around today with shame and condemnation, that's not from the Father. That shame and condemnation, if you're in Christ, is not from Jesus. That he has not only love and affection, but freedom for you today. But there's also some good news. That God cares too much about your soul to leave you in your sin. He loves you too much to let you live a life missing out on the things he cares about for you. It's full affection It's full healing, his full voice for you. The God I serve will stop a meeting to pull me inside and say, I love you too much to let you live here. Today, you have freedom. A prophetic word lifted my my gaze, not to how much I need to do and how many softwares I need to install, but to say that Jesus is my father. His affection for me is enough that this thing will not satisfy. His vision for your life today is freedom. Complete. As I do, I'm going to get some water. How are we doing? Got real quiet. (laughs) Hope you're good online. So I want to make it super practical for you. If you're stuck in sexual sin today, some practical advice. One, give your burden to Jesus. Look to him. Look to him. Experience his life, number two, and, and the freedom he has in the spirit for you you look to him, his gift is the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you. Receive his mercy. Our name as a church is what? Mercy Mercy Commons. The idea is that there's mercy for all. That's including you. That we first receive mercy so we can proclaim it and distribute it. So we receive mercy today. So number three, if if you're in the cycle, receive the gift of the church. I mean, today it's harder than ever because of the isolation, just simply by COVID. But You have a gift of this body. Look around real quick. This is a gift to you. It is God's design. You're gonna hear from all of us say this. It's his idea. Because trust me, it's really hard to do this well. But it's his idea because he knows that we need the church today. We need the body as we move from addiction to freedom. And finally... Put on your new self. Paul talks about this in the verse. I won't go into super detail, but basically the idea is that you've been dead. You have a new body. You have a new vision. You have a new identity. Put that on. You're gonna have to fight. Set in some new disciplines. Live like you're called. That we're not just off the hook. We're saying, Jesus is freebie. Yes, he's called me to an upward call. That means I put on a new self. I put my new flannel on that I'm excited about and I go and I live like I've been called to live. The fullness of fall, summer is dead to me, fall is here. (laughs) Pumpkin spice lattes, that's what we need. And I'm being silly, but the idea is that we we come with a new identity. And God is not expecting perfection from you. Jesus's job was that, to be your perfected life. But he's calling you to pursuit. That he's not going to let you say, yeah, 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 on my own terms, no. Jesus said, follow me and started walking and the disciples had a choice. Will I follow him? Will I be with him? Will I become like him? Will I do what he does? That is how we fight this. We don't do this by setting a checklist of things of how long I'm not going. No, we follow Jesus. He is calling us to pursue him. So we look up. The vision of Jesus will define the vision of your life, your vision of him. Look in. The biggest threat to living out the vision of your life is idolatry. The next we look out. So Paul shifts now from internal sin to this next verse, verse eight. But now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. You put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and is all. uh, Sorry, Christ is all and in all. And so we shift from internal sin to now things that hurt one another, the external kind of sin that we have. And so it's a sin that affects our neighbor. And the number one tactic the enemy wants to use today is to make you forget your upward call, move your vision from Jesus to how all these people drive me insane and I can't stand them. If we live on earth as if this is all we have, if you live as if, Paul describes this as earthly, as this is your inheritance, that's how you live. If this is all you get, this little square footage, you're going to fight like this is life or death. You're going to live as if this is zero sum. And what the idea is that Jesus is calling us to lift our vision to a heavenly vision. Our inheritance is him. And this earth is nice, but it's not everything. We're approaching a time right now um, that's interesting for our nation. We have an election coming up. And in my opinion, one of the most divided times of our nation, from what I've seen and read. I haven't been around that long, but it feels a little contentious. I don't know if anyone agrees with me. And if the earth is all there is, what it's easy to shift from is from a quick couple words to then weaponizing those things to being our words and our weapons against people we don't like. We begin to classify people as less than human. So it starts off as disappointment, but it becomes anger. And what becomes sharing your opinion becomes slandering other people. And what starts as a joke about the guys on the other side of the aisle becomes slander, and it becomes obscene words against your neighbor. And what starts as a joke becomes so much more than that. So James says it this way about our tongue. He says in James 3, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our neighbors, oh, sorry, our, the tongue is set among our members, stating the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. What a fitting metaphor for California forest fires that Paul, uh, James uses as the description of the tongue. What starts as small and harmless uh, gender reveal becomes a gigafire. And it's, the reality that this is what happens with our words. We think it's not a big deal. It's just a couple things. And then it ends up consuming everything. Where you look is where you'll go, but also where you set your mind will determine how you speak, right? If we don't have a vision of Jesus, how you start talking looks like the earth, like the world. Instead of putting off the old self that is dead and had nothing for us in light of what Jesus has for us, we start setting our mind on things here, Instead of setting our mind on the fullness of Christ, a knowledge of him that will redefine everything about us, instead of taking on the upward call that releases renewal in our city, we put on fear. We listen to the lie of the enemy. We forget who we are. We sink to the level of earth. And what began as just a helpless little Instagram post sets fire to our neighbor. And so it's small, but it destroys everything. When we forget Jesus, who is the vision of our life, Paul is saying the collateral damage is our neighbor. That when we lose sight of him, it's not just your own sin and your own obsession. It's also that your speech turns into a weapon and destroys someone else. That the cost of not seeing Jesus is the life of your neighbor. And Paul is saying, put it away, get rid of it, kill it. Some of us feel aimless because we've forgotten what we've been called to live to. Maybe you feel like today you just don't have a vision about what I'm supposed to be doing. And we've been called to see heaven released on earth, right? The idea is we're vision up that it would be released here. We have a vision for justice for the poor, to see the sick healed, a divided nation mend it. And Jesus' vision for your life, what he's asking of you is that you would love your neighbor, that the vision of your life would be that as you live this obsession with him, it translates into your neighbor feeling the love of Jesus. We're so busy looking down at earth that we forget to look at the horizon. The harvest is plentiful. And our neighbors now are more desperate than ever to have a touch from God. And I know it's hard because on top of kids and school being crazy, we forget to look outside our front door we feel like it's impossible. But I'm learning right now, we had dinner with our neighbors and it's just like, there's opportunity right next door. I don't have to travel across the city. I can just simply say, let's have some halal chicken and talk about what you believe. The vision of your life is loving your neighbor. And so when we lose sight of that, we start to look to sex outside of marriage to make us feel loved. We start to look to slandering someone else we don't even know to make us feel important. We begin to lose sight of our purpose and our calling and of the hope of the one who hides our life. And I am just as guilty of it as you are. That in our life, Paul is warning that when we lose sight of Jesus, it's not just that we're distracted, but there's damage that happens to ourself, to our body, It's idolatry that draws our affections and our attentions, but it's well to our neighbor, that as we begin to speak, it begins to hurt our neighbor. So, The idea is that when we live this life, just looking to earth, we see a bunch of black blobs. We can't even see the words. But Jesus is calling us today to look at the background, that he is the substance, that he's called our vision to look to him. And in that, Jesus is not just a good idea, but he is the vision of your life. So we look up, the vision of Jesus will define the vision of your life. We look in, the biggest threat to living out the vision of your life is idolatry. We look out. The vision of Jesus results in loving our neighbor. And as they land and as Patrick comes up with the ban, when Paul wrote this letter, he was not just in a shelter in place, he's in prison. He's not even met these people, really. You ever wonder why he keeps doing this? Like, he has every instance not to write the letter, not to do this. Why does he care so much for these people, this Colossian church? Paul had an encounter with Jesus on a dusty back road where he met Jesus and his life was changed forever. Remember, this is the guy killing Christians. So, this is the guy who's not just saying slander your neighbor. He was killing people. And Jesus met with him and changed him forever. And a vision of Jesus resulted not just in him following him, but also that it led him to plant churches in Boise, make disciples and write this letter we're reading today. If you do not have an encounter with the living God to satisfy you, everything that Paul just described is impossible for you. When you've been with Jesus, when he has become your focus, when he is your purpose and your vision, he changes you from the inside out. When you're with him, you become like him, and you do what he does. And he will become the vision of your life. I titled it The Vision for Your Life because it's trendy, but I think it's so important for us today that we don't set other things as the most important vision, whether it's my status or my preference or how I like to live. It's thing, Jesus, first and foremost, you have called me to look to you, my savior, my king, my affection is fully on you. And with that, it means that these things that I used to live in are dead that the separation I have now is that I don't need these things to satisfy. This place is not enough for me because you are so much better. And today, this is not meant to cast shame on you, but to remind you today that Jesus has called you to fixate on him, to see him, to love him, let him be the vision of your life. I believe that there's a couple people to respond today. One, a group of people who maybe didn't respond to Maddie's word before. And I'm gonna give you a second chance today because I think there's a gift when we respond to him. When he's saying, come, maybe you don't feel like you feel secure in him today, but he wants you to know him deeper. If you're a Christ follower today, your life is hidden in him. But if you don't know him, I would love to introduce you because your life will never look the same, but you will feel more satisfied. It may be hard, but you'll be grounded, hidden in him. Second group, I believe, is a group that feels like they're tied down by sexual sin. And I have been there, and I know the damage it can do. And I know that it is hard to do that alone. But thank God for that scruffy beard man, Nick, right? Who, even with the, I was sitting on this patio, just talking about life, how much I needed someone just to listen to me, to respond to me about how I was growing and developing. Today, there's freedom for you. You don't have to do this alone. That you have a body, a church, a mercy commons that will pray for you that we believe that freedom is your calling, that you don't have to live in bondage anymore. So wherever you're at with that, that's an area for you to respond. And so today, let Jesus be the vision of your life. In every area, in every aspect of your life, surrender it to him. And I believe Mercy Commons, we'll see renewal. That as we see, as we move towards an election, seeing God release revival across the nation because there's a people dedicated to having a vision on him. And the things of earth are not central, but he is. Let me pray for us. Jesus, in this even simple message, I thank you that you've called us to something so much more, to you. There's no curtain, there's no veil that separates us from you. There's nothing that separates us from your love, but you have called us today to be found in you, to set our affection on you, to have our sight, our mind lifted and raised up to you. So as we look up to you, help us to look in today to respond how your spirit is shaping and changing us, that we put to death the things that are idolatry and look to you, our life, that our life would then respond in loving our neighbor however it looks, no matter how different they are, no matter how they vote, we ask you, God, to help us to respond today in love of our neighbor. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, Please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.